Well, good morning and Happy New Year. I just want to make a couple comments. Did you happen to notice during the words of the song, technology is a wonderful thing and the advancements we've made, they even picked up that it was snowing outside behind the words. Did you catch that? For those of you who are concerned, uh, you haven't seen him around this morning, but Pastor Steve has not left us. He's on vacation. Uh, they had a grandson born on New Year's Day, right, I believe? And uh, they've had some health challenges with Steve's mom, but be praying for them as they come back home, finish their vacation, get his mom settled. But in the meantime, uh, I'm delighted to tell you that we have a new team member. Uh, Mark Kreiderman and his wife Mary uh, have chosen to join us. Mark has history here. Uh, the year that Karen and I graduated from high school, Karen's dad was the pastor here, and he was succeeded by Mark's dad, Pastor Bill Kreiderman. Mark arrived here in Ipsy when he was 10 years old. Uh, I don't know if she still does or not, but I remember his mom calling him Marky. <laughs> Marky and his brother Billy were very active, mostly in a good way. Uh, Mark left here when he finished his ninth grade year uh, as a freshman over at Ipsy High School. Uh, if my research is correct, they have three children. That's right. Four grandchildren. That's the best part of life, isn't it? Uh, Mark has served uh, as pastor at various churches around the Southern Michigan Conference. Most recently, uh, had leadership responsibility for the Detroit Dinner Church, uh, and we've had a lot of uh, interaction with them and you're probably familiar with that ministry. Uh, happen to know from watching Mark virtually his whole life that he's a very creative person. He comes from a creative and musical family. He's creative and musical. Uh, both he and Mary have a contagious personality, in a good way, and a servant's heart. Um, I have a couple of examples. I wish I could find the pictures. Uh, one of these days they'll surface and oh, we'll no. make them available for public consumption. But I know there exists somewhere, and I think Mark may have it, uh, a picture of his creative and fun-loving side. Uh, I heard the story, and I actually saw the picture. He and a couple of his staff members at the Westland Free Methodist Church when he was pastor there uh, took advantage one day when it rained hard and the parking lot flooded to water ski in the ditch along the edge of the parking lot. Yes, yeah, true. true. Um, you can't make these things up, right? Uh, Mark also has a servant's heart, which he has demonstrated since an early age. He actually reminded me of this when I said, well, how would you like to be introduced? He said, well, he said, you know, I trust you to, to take care of it, but you might remember. And he mentioned this story, but uh, Karen and I got married when Mark was, must have been 12. It was 1976. And uh, we have a picture, we just couldn't find it, of Mark up on top of the basketball backboards down in the gym hanging crepe paper to help decorate for our, uh, for our wedding reception. So he truly has a servant's heart and is willing to take risks, so be, pre be prepared. We know that Mark and Mary are definitely going to fit right in here. They have demonstrated throughout their life that they love God, they love all people, and they certainly follow Christ together. So will you help me in giving a warm welcome to Mark and Mary Kreiderman? Thanks, Thanks, you guys. What an amazing story that we find ourselves in, huh? And it, it is true. Uh, I pulled Carl Morton. He turned out uh, he was an associate pastor of mine. He had previously been a professional water skier. 
And I said, how good of a skier are you? And he said, well, I could ski in that ditch. And I said, well, let's go for it. And afterwards, I was thinking, okay, I did not have a spotter in my car. Um, he, yeah, I towed him behind my car. Um, I, uh, he, did, he was not wearing a personal flotation device. Uh, so there were two things that could have gone wrong. But anyway, um, it's, it's so good to be here. One of my first memories of being here in Ypsilanti, I was in fifth grade, and I would walk to Estabrook Elementary. We lived right here off the edge of the parking lot. And, um, okay, I'm a little embarrassed about this, but I would, my typical garb was a trench coat, uh, a bucket hat, mirror sunglasses, and a briefcase, an old hand-me-down briefcase that my dad gave me. And I'm, I'm on my way to school. And a couple of junior hires or middle schoolers from West Middle School were coming the opposite direction. They looked at me when we met, and they said, what are you, a pervert? I didn't know what that word meant. So I had to go home to my dad and say, hey, dad, what's a pervert? And then he had explained that to me, and I said, well, I don't think that's what I am, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what the question was. Man, did I fall in love with Ypsilanti and the surrounding area. And it's been such a, a phenomenal uh, idea, I guess, that I've been carrying around of being able to come back here. So it is good to be home. What an amazing story we find ourselves in. So I'm kicking off this series that I don't know anything about. <laughs> Consecrate. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do among us. And it's about what God is going to do, right? I will never trust a faraway God. But to one who is close, I will give my all. I will never trust a faraway God. But to one who is close, I will give my all. It was 2005 when my uh, dear wife Mary came down with a case of cancer. And uh, so we ended up going over to the Cancer Treatment Centers of America outside of Chicago place, a town called Zion, Illinois, and uh, there, there's a coffee shop in the middle of town which serves as a metaphor for the entire town and our experience there. The coffee shop was called It's All Good. It's All Good. And uh, I got to thinking about why did that name work so well for that community? You know, at least my experience there. Was it because the town was called Zion, Illinois. This is a holy place of God. Um, I don't think that was it. Was it because all the streets were named after Old Testament characters? That was kind of cool. Or there was a park. There was a, a, the Shiloh Golf Course. And there was a Bethel Park. Was that why it just felt like a holy place? No, I don't think that was it. Was it because they served great food in that hospital? Organically grown and, and healthily made and a beautiful display. And it was wonderful food and they made it at a cost for somebody like me that I could afford it. Was that it? No, that wasn't it. 
Was it because of the doctors and the way they, they did things? So at the CTCA, they would uh, pair you up with your doctor. So you had uh, your oncologist, and then you had the surgeon, and then you had the reconstruction, re reconstructive surgeon. And all of these people would meet together at the same time. They would meet with us and then meet together, and they would then all in like one day. Pretty cool. Was that what it was? No, I don't think that's what it was at all. Was it because we received celebrity treatment? They would fly us in, and then they would pick us up in a stretch limo and drive us to the hospital and deliver us the same way. Was that what it was? No, that's not what it was. I did a lot of thinking on this, and I, I, I know why I felt God's presence in that place so much. It was because of my friends, John and Gina Heisey. They were friends of ours at a church we had served previous to the assignment we were at this, at that time. And when John heard that we were going to be in the hospital and Mary's going to go into surgery and, and we we're going to be there quite a few days, he called me and he said, hey, so um, how are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. And he goes, we'll see you in four and a half hours. And four and a half hours later, John and Gina and their son Drew showed up at the motel that I was staying in, and they stayed with me. And when John walked into the lobby of that hospital, it felt like I was seeing the face of God. God showed up. And ever since then, that place has been a holy place for us. And it wasn't because of all the other things, it was because of the people of God showing up. You know, we use this term, accept Jesus into your heart or receive Jesus into your heart as your Savior. Like, what does that mean? Try explaining that to a little kid. Well, we know what it means. It means the presence of God, the Spirit of God takes up residence in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, after all. And, and the, the, uh, the person of, of God takes up residence in us so that wherever we go, God goes. We're never alone. His presence is there. So, so I get that when they walked in, why it would feel like I'm looking at the face of God. Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. So when John and Gina, followers of Jesus, walk into the place where I am, the Holy Spirit, God himself shows up. That's why it feels like such a holy, precious place. And I never want to miss the presence of God. I never want to miss his presence. I will never trust a faraway God. But to one who is close, I will give my all. What a story we find ourselves in right? Do you, do you crave the presence of God? Do, do you find yourself in that place where you're like, man, if, if nothing else happens, if I have the presence of God, then I'm okay. Then it's all good. Do you crave the presence of God? Or is it a little bit like shooting stars, viewing? Have you ever done that before? with somebody. Hey, let's go out. It's late at night. It's clear. 
We're in, a, we're in a place where it's dark. So let's go out, let's look for shooting stars. You hear about the leaned showers, whatever. It's, you go out, and you're staring up into the sky. And you're just waiting. You don't know when it's going to happen. And the person next to you says, oh, there's one. And you're like, where? And you're looking the wrong way. And I don't know what's worse. Seeing, or having somebody else see a shooting star and you miss it, or you see the shooting star and they miss it. But once in a great while, you're both together and you both see it. And I wonder if sometimes we're looking for the presence of God in all the wrong places. We think that God shows up because we see things, you know, we get things that we, we want or things work out the way we want. Then we're like, oh yeah, God's presence is here. And maybe that's not what it is at all. Maybe it's way, way, way better than that. The presence of God. The stakes are high. Because I don't think we can ever trust a faraway God. And if we want to be people who are consecrated, set apart to God and for his use, we'll never trust a faraway God, but to one who is close, we can give our all. So in, in Exodus chapter 3, there's this great, well, a lot of Exodus talks about Moses, but there's this great interaction that Moses has with God that sets him off on a and kind of unparalleled sense of usefulness for one of God's people. And maybe you know the story. Um, you can turn there in, um, in Exodus if you want. But Moses, you know, he had been raised in the Pharaoh's household. I mean, there's all these great miracles that happen in the first couple of chapters of Exodus. But this, at this point, he is um, getting up in age, and he has just kind of ran away from everything of God and uh, every place where he was supposed to be. And he's out just doing work. And he sees on the horizon this fire, like a brush fire. And he goes to check out what, what's going on. So as he comes up to it, he realizes that there's a bush on fire, yet th- something is very weird. It's not burning up, but it is burning. Probably a lot of metaphors in there, but I just want to take it as face value. He sees this burning bush, and then he hears a voice. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And he realizes that this bush that is on fire is the presence of God. And it's God coming to him to say, look, I got a plan for you. I've heard the cries of the people, and I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to rescue the people who've been in, in uh, slavery for some 400 years, and I'm going to use you to do it. Do you remember how that interaction goes? Oh, hey, can, can you just pause for a minute? I don't want to miss this opportunity. Okay. Everybody say hi. All right. Okay, where was I? Okay, um, so Exodus 3. So uh, he sees this, this bush, it's not burning up, 
And so God tells Moses, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So he recognizes that, look, I'm, I'm nothing. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I don't want to go alone. Who am I should that, that I should go? And God said, this is verse 12, God said, I will be with you. The presence of God. I will be with you. Like nothing else matters. I will, you're not going alone. I will go with you. So there's more, more talk. If you want to flip over to, to chapter 4, um, there's one more little interaction I, want to, I would deal with with Moses and God. Moses continues to kind of push back. Like, I don't have what it takes. I know how this works. Like, I, what am I going to take the burning bush with me? Because I can't see you. What do you mean you're going to go with me? I don't get what that means. And I don't get how that's going to be helpful. And so they go back and forth, and God begins to get a little agitated with him. Um, in chapter 4, he says, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? What am I supposed to do then? And God gives him a series of things. You know, use your cane, it'll turn into a snake. Look, put your hand in your coat. Bring your hand out. And his hand is full of leprosy. Ah, no, no, okay, okay, see, you can do those kind of things because I'm with you. What is that going to do? So then, um, down to like verse 12. The Lord is giving a little sermon to Moses to explain. And he says, now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. And Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) Are you not hearing me, God? I can't do this. Send someone else. How clear do I need to be? And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. And then verse 16, it says, He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. The presence of God. When God brings somebody into his life, look, I'm sending you guys together. You're not alone. I'm going to be there with you, but you can't really fathom that, but I'm going to put you together, and it will be like I am right there because I am. Hmm. I understand when I saw John walk into that room that the presence of God showed up. And then there's Jacob. Remember Jacob? And this is a great story as well. This is found uh, earlier in Genesis chapter th- uh, 33. And why don't you flip over there if you'd like. Um, so Jacob is called the deceiver. But when I meet him, when I read the, the opening chapters about Jacob and Esau, I look at Jacob, I don't know how you look at him. I look at him and I go, that guy's a jerk. I mean, come on. Like, he, he steals his brother's birthright, his older brother's birthright. He's in the family, just that's the way it is. He's the older brother, he gets those privileges and those responsibilities, but he steals it for the price of a bowl of stew. So he gets his brother's birthright, which is a position of property, really. He's in charge of the 
the family property. He gets stuff. He gets a double portion of what the other members of the family would get when dad dies. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. He and his mom um, conspire to steal not just the birthright, but the blessing. This is a much bigger deal. This is a position of authority, authority in the home. You're the one in charge, but not just over the home. It's over the, the community. This is a big deal. It's the blessing. And he so badly wants the blessing. And so he and his mom, they commiserate, they steal the blessing. And do you remember that sad, sad part of the story where when Esau figures out what goes on, after, you can read how that all happens on your own, but when he figures out what, goes, what, uh, what has happened, Esau's like, Father, have you no blessing left for me? Because a blessing is a big deal. And so, Jacob steals and then runs off. And give, as you can imagine, there is a broken relationship between Jacob and Esau. Well, Esau becomes a powerful person. Jacob is shaking in his boots because he knows he has done wrong to his brother. And there comes a time when they're going to cross paths. And he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? And he goes to God and he begs God for a blessing. A blessing of a person is just not going to cut it. I need the blessing of God. So I'm going to pick it up in, um... oh wait, I should tell the story of how that goes. He begs um, the Lord, and the Lord shows up, it's the angel of the Lord, and they have this wrestling match. They have this wrestling match all night long. And Jacob is saying, I will not let you go until you give me the blessing. I need the blessing of God more than I need the blessing of my dad or any of those other things. And the angel of the Lord, perhaps God himself, gives him that blessing. Along with a limp, he pops the hip out of his socket so that he can escape. And it says that from then on, Jacob walked with a limp. And you know, he had this presence of God that gave him this blessing of God, which was going to change everything in his, in his world. But that part about him limping has me not confused. It's kind of like, to me, it's very interesting that the, the presence of God is connected so closely, and I see this more than once in the Bible, to pain, to pain. Because when we seek God's blessing, you know what we're looking for? The absence of pain, right? Lord, would you bless me with a new car because my old car doesn't work so well. God, would you bless me with this? I, I want bigger and more and better. I want less pain. Yet God comes and there is pain. In fact, the implication is that for the rest of his life, Jacob has this limp that reminds him of the beauty of God's presence. My grandfather was a preacher. He was a bishop. He spoke all over the world. And he had polio when he was young. 
and a surgery to do some work on his knee that was uh, uh, connected to the polio went awry. And uh, he lived, for the entire time I knew my grandfather, he lived with intense pain. His knee hurt all the time. And he's left like, all the time. You could see him walk and limp. He had electrodes he'd put on his knee. He would sit down. He had a little, uh, like a, a bench he would put up for his leg when he would sit and talk. And he would constantly massage his leg because it hurt so bad all the time. Every minute of his life was filled with pain. Except when he preached. Except when he preached. When he preached, he said, it's the only time in my life I know when there is no pain. And I think that's kind of, to me, it connects to the story. That there's this, the presence of God does something even in pain and around pain. Well, we're not going to talk about that anymore, but I just find it interesting. (laughs) Maybe you're in a time of pain. It may not be the absence of pain that is revealing the presence of God. It might be right in the middle of it where God wants to be close. Okay, so there's this relational um, divide between Jacob and Esau, and they're going to meet. And so we'll pick it up in um, Genesis 33, verse 3. So Jacob looked up, he saw Esau. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. The Verse 4, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So you see this beautiful picture. Finally, they're adults, and the relationship is healed. And they have some talk about that. Um, Jacob brings all these uh, presents, and Esau says in verse 8, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, says Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. The blessing of God, the presence of God in and around people when we show up. Hmm. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. And so God changes Jacob's name to Israel. I'm going to truncate the rest of the story. Uh, Israel means let God prevail because God is prevailing in his life. And as, as you know, Israel becomes the father of um, the people called Israelites and a hero of the faith for all of us. I will never trust a faraway God, but to one who is close, I will give my all. And that makes a difference. So what does this look like, practically speaking? Let's get real practical for just a minute. Um, Let me use the example of prayer. Okay, so you're going to pray for somebody. Well, let's imagine that you become stranded on a deserted island, right? We all know. We talk about this all the time. It happens to most of us. So there's this deserted island where you're all alone, and you come out to do your morning walk on the beach, and there's a bottle. It washes up. There's a cork in it. You 
pluck it out of the ocean, you pop open the cork, and there's a note inside. You pull the note out, and you find out that your daughter is very ill. And you're like, oh, man. And that she's in the hospital. So you kneel down and you pray. You pray like you've never prayed before because you can't be there to do anything about it. You pray, God, please, Lord, would you wrap your loving arms around my daughter right now because I can't be there to do anything. God, would you do the miraculous of showing up in that hospital room? And you know what? God will do just that. Because prayer in that instance is, when, is what you do when there's nothing else you can do. So you pray. Okay, then uh, eventually you, you get off the deserted island and you're home. And you get word that your neighbor goes into the hospital. And you sit and you're lazy boy and you're like, God, please help my neighbor. Would you just show up in their hospital room and wrap your loving arms around my neighbor? And God says, Look at me, what do you notice? And you look at God and you go, I notice you don't have loving arms. In fact, you don't have any arms at all. And God says, you're right. So how about this? I'll go if you go. The presence of God when we show up. When you show up, it's like seeing the face of God So a couple of years ago, Mary and I were in the process of rebuilding Detroit Dinner Church following the pandemic. And it was tough sledding to try to recreate all the things that were going on. And so we were meeting at a park, and we're all seated. You know, we had a little tent so we could all be far enough away from each other. And, and uh, Barb, she was about 86 years old, and she's kind of an off-putting lady. Uh, to say it mildly. She was just, you know, um, filthy and um, just didn't know how to, uh, she was very awkward with people and uh, it was just, um, it was hard. Okay. So she was sitting right in the middle. And one thing about Barb is she hated to wear a belt. We bought her belts. We bought her sweatpants so she didn't need a belt. Yet she would still wear pants that required a belt without a belt. And so by the time she, she got to her seat, well, you saw a lot more of Barb than you wanted to see, okay? <laughs> and so she's seated in the middle, and, um, you know, it's just like, I'm trying to preach the word, and, and uh, but Jackie and Tracy... Jackie um, was in her 70s, and her daughter, who, was, who had constant pain all the time, um, they were there. And they were pretty new to our whole uh, family. And she got tired of looking. I don't know what it was, but no, it was actually, it was just such a godly moment. Because while I'm preaching, she gets up, and she walks over to Barb, and she wraps her arm around this smelly, dirty um, <laughs> lady with her pants falling down and grabs her by the belt loops and lifts her up 
and shakes her into her pants and then sits her back down and then goes back and sits down. It was so tender and beautiful. And I, while I'm preaching, I'm going, there it is again. Jesus showed up. God is here. What a beautiful, beautiful time. Because Jackie and Tracy, they showed up. I will never trust a faraway God, but one who is close, I will give my all. Imagine, imagine with me, if your day-to-day, during your day-to-day, if you were convinced that God was present, I mean, clearly present for every moment of your day, what would that be like? What an amazing story we'd find ourselves in. Alive to the presence of God consecrated to him. What might he do among us? Hmm. You're all familiar with number six. There's a blessing in number six that you've heard in numbers, number six, verse 22, I think it is. And I I just want to, we're going to sing this song in a minute, but the, the passage goes like this. And I just want you to um, maybe close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you to do a couple weird things over these next couple minutes. Okay, that's all right. So just close your eyes. Let me, let me talk you through this. The, the blessing says, The Lord bless you and keep you. Now, in light of what we've been talking about, that we serve a present God. This is not someone from the front of a stage saying, Bless you, now go on your way. But somebody who is with you, Engage with everything you go through. The Lord bless you and keep you. The image I get with that, it was when my two-year-old grandson, Whitaker, when I enter the room, he jumps off of his mama's lap, he runs across the room, he leaps into my arms and buries his face in my neck because he knows he's got my full attention. We love, after all, because he first loved us. The Lord bless you and keep you. He keeps you. Would you receive his move towards you today? Then it goes like this. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Do you know the Lord takes great delight in his children? That's you. He takes great delight in you. He's so proud of you. He loves you so much. He has so many adventures planned for you. And it says, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Do you need forgiveness today? Because our God is not one that, when we sin, turns away from us and says, I don't want anything to do with you. The Lord turn his face toward you. He's saying, look, I know what you did. Pick yourself up. Let's go. Let's just keep on going. I forgive you. I have this great blessing of grace for you. Even self-inflicted pain. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Because he shows up, we show up. And it's all good. Heavenly Father, I 
pray that you would help us to be people who show up, who recognize you showing up. Lord, some people right now in this place need you to reveal yourself. So we're opening our eyes. We don't want to look in the wrong direction. Lord, we're going to look right here. Show up. We receive you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us wherever we need that. Forgiveness of sin. Um, giving us the, the, the right path, the right next step. Reminding us that you, you love us and you're here. And because of that, it's all good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.